just so sweet to trust in Jesus. Take him at his word. Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning, if you will, to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. We have been prior to Easter and now after Easter talking about union with Christ and the resurrection. We had snow in there and we had other things, and this is actually the text that I had planned to preach on Palm Sunday when we observed the Lord's Supper and had communion, but it all kind of got shifted. So we will finish up, Lord willing, the series, uh, Union with Christ and the Resurrection, two weeks after uh, Easter Sunday, and we'll do that next week by looking at how union with Christ brings us in unity together. And so we'll talk about that next week, Lord willing. But today we, we come to a passage where not only do we talk about union, uh, does Paul talk about union with Christ, but he also talks about the resurrection. And he kind of ties those two together, that his union with Christ is contingent upon, and, and, and it's important to his union, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and from the tomb. And, and he deals with that in a very interesting context of the whole of chapter 3. But we're only going to look at verses 7 through 16 this morning as we look at this, and we'll refer to the others, but we want to read just 7 through 16. So if you would, follow along as I read this passage from the Apostle Paul. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, in Him, in Christ, in union with Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that's derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know Him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, the word perfect there carries with it more the connotation of mature, have this attitude. And if there's anything you have, if, any, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. That is the standard of Christ and the standard of God's Word. The Apostle Paul in these verses talks about a radical change that has taken place in his life. He, he talks about laying aside things, losing things, counting things as rubbish that, that he once owned, that he once possessed, that, that once were his obviously in an abundance. But he says that when I came in union with Christ, when I came into that relationship with Jesus Christ, 
It literally changed everything. To be in union with Christ changes the way I look at, at, at God. It changes the way I look at the world. It changes the way I look at myself, Paul would say. And he would say that that's exactly what happens to you when you come into an, a relationship of union with Christ. You've know, you, you got to go back to those first verses. And, and even the passage I had Brother Todd read out of... Uh, out of Galatians 1 this morning for our scripture, hearing of the scripture. You've got to go back to see what Paul said about himself to really grasp the, the importance and the depth of change that took place in his life. Paul said in that passage in Galatians that, that Brother Todd read, he said in verse 14, he said, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries along, uh, among my countrymen, being far more zealous for my ancestral traditions. I think Paul's being a little genteel there in his statement. I think he's kind of, kind of. if Paul in his pre-Christ days could have any humility, and I don't think he had much pre-Christ, but he's being a little humble there. When he said, I advance more than many of my contemporaries, I think he's saying, man, I beat them all in zeal. There was nobody in all of Israel that had a zeal for ancestral traditions, that had a zeal for the religion that, that I followed, than I did. I outstripped everybody, man. I was tough. Paul had a, a, a desire that was burning in his heart to, to be, no other way to put it than to, to say that he had a desire to be the number one Jew in all of Israel. He wanted to be seen as tops. And he did that in a lot of ways. And, and in Philippians chapter 3, he talks about it in those first verses. He said, you know, I had a great religious heritage. I, I inherited some things that I had no control over. He talks there about, you know, I was, if anybody can have confidence in the flesh, I far more could put confidence in the flesh. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Let me tell you something. At eight days old, Paul had no choice, no decision, no, no value in getting circumcised. It was given to him by his parents. And I was of the nation of Israel. He didn't choose what nation he was born into. God placed him in the nation of Israel. But beyond that, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Not only was I in Israel, but I was among that faithful tribe of Benjamin. And I was born there by God's grace, and he put me there. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. When people thought about what makes a good Hebrew, what makes a good Jewish rabbi or Pharisee, they immediately, Paul would say, thought of me because I'd outstripped everybody. I mean, there were some who were doing okay, but they weren't doing anything like I was. Don't you imagine that pre-Christ Paul was just a bit obnoxious? I mean, quite, I mean some people find post-Christ Paul a bit obnoxious at times. But, but don't you know that before Christ, before the tempering effect of God's grace, that Paul really was, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the, as, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee, Nobody can point to me and say, I've, I've openly violated the law. They look up to me, and, and, and he just pressed forward. He was a type A, no, he was a type double A, probably, maybe even triple A. I mean, he, he was just a driver with a great desire to be the best in his religion that he could be. And he said, I had a great start because I had a great inheritance, had a great heritage. But, but then he said, it wasn't just that. In verse 6, he said, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. 
As to righteousness, which is found in the law, I was found blameless. There's that idea again. I'm a, I'm a, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee. And as to the law, I was found blameless. This righteousness, this self-righteousness, this, this doing attitude where I could make people look at me and say, oh, what a, what a righteous man he is. I was found blameless. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I really don't want a lot of people that know me really well talking about my blamelessness or lack thereof and I would guess you're probably the same way I don't want you I don't want you questioning Retta on you know some some of my attitudes from time to time that she sees that you never see she would not say as to the law I'm blameless I, I'm saying that because she's in Alabama today and I can use her in, as an illustration I mean ask my kids you know I'm not perfect by any stretch ask your kids ask your spouse or or your parents, they all know you as you really are and as you fully are. And, and Paul says, though, when it comes to religious matters, I, I, just, I had this righteousness about me, this self-righteousness about me, that people just looked at me and they said, man, there goes a righteous man. I can't see anything wrong with him. Paul persecuted the church. Why did he persecute the church? He persecuted the church because he thought this this band of followers of the way, this band of followers of Jesus Christ was polluting Mosaic law. They, they were polluting the, the ancestral traditions that, that he sell, held so tightly and, and so closely. And he said, I, I wanted to wipe them out. When Stephen, when Stephen was stoned in the book of Acts, it said Saul stood there and held their cloaks while the others stoned him to death. I mean, he, he was a participant in the first martyr of the Christian church. And even on his, when, he, when he came to Christ, and Christ literally invaded his life on the road to Damascus, he was on his way to arrest and imprison and perhaps even kill Christians. He wanted to wipe out the Christian church from the face of the earth. That's just who he was. And he was proud of it. And he was diligent in it. Let me tell you something. You may work hard at some of your sin, but I can tell you right now, Paul outstripped you even in that. He worked hard at fighting against God, thinking he was doing right, thinking he was doing something religious, thinking that he was defending the ancestral traditions of Judaism. He had a great heritage. He had a great reputation. He had a, a great religious righteousness. And then the Damascus Road happened. Then he's on his way with papers in hand to persecute the church and arrest them. And a blinding light comes from heaven and a voice comes out and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul said, who, who are you? I mean, you almost have to have a, 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 a vision there, of, an idea there, that it wasn't a whole lot different from Moses at the burning bush when a voice came out of the burning bush and called him. Now here's this voice coming out of a bright light and, and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, I don't even know who you are. Who are you? So I'm Jesus. I'm the one that you're persecuting. He was stricken blind 
All those around him didn't know what was going on. They thought it was thunder. They thought it was maybe something else going on. They didn't know what was happening. But Paul heard it clearly. He went on into Jerusalem, and you know the story. Days later, after some Christians came around him, and they weren't all that sure they really wanted to because they knew why he was coming to Damascus, but the scales fell from his eyes. He saw Christ as Redeemer, as Savior, as Lord, and he was gloriously converted to Christ. What a, what a story. But it's not a story, it's, it's true, it's fact. It's what took place in his life. And then beginning in verse 7, Paul gives us now the testimony. He gave us the testimony of what it means to be a religious, self-righteous Pharisee. Which, by the way, there are a lot of religious, self-righteous Pharisees that aren't Jews. They're legalists who say the name of Jesus, but are not depending on Christ and the union with Christ. They're depending on their religious activity to somehow make them right with God, somehow make them in, in relation with But Paul is making clear here that the only thing that brings about salvation, the only thing that brings about a reality of life is union with Christ. And he says here, starting in verse 7 that I read earlier, he said, look, whatever these things were that were gained to me, Religion, heritage, activity, self-righteousness, all those things. And I think also Paul probably would include in this monetary and, 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 and material things. Because as a Pharisee, he was probably a fairly well-off guy for, for the times that he lived in. He probably had a lot. And he said that all these things, religious, material, heritage, whatever they are, all these things that were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Some of those things he counted as loss voluntarily, I would imagine. He turned around and he walked away from them, the, the Pharisaism and the, the whole Judaism, uh, religious and, and, and ancestral heritage and ancestral traditions and all those things. But some of them I think were probably taken away from him because he did walk away from the other things. But he said, you know what, I've, I've counted those things, those things that were gained to me, I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Not because I want to be poor, not because I want to be an outcast of the, of the temple, not because I want to be considered anathema by my countrymen, not at all. I, wanna, I, I, I have a burden for my countrymen to come to Christ. I don't, I don't like being shut out from them, but I, but I do want you to understand that if it comes down to the fact of them or Christ, there is no contest. Christ alone, we sang it this morning, it's Christ alone who, who is of value to me now. He is my treasure. He is the thing that I'm going I'm to desire more than anything else. And I've, I've counted everything lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, garbage, trash, useless so that I may gain Christ I want you to see this when one is in union with Christ as Paul was when one is in that union relationship Christ in him Christ in you and you in Christ and the Spirit of God binding you together in that relationship when you are in Christ Paul says I want you to understand you get a new sense of value your values change 
We hear a lot of talk today about values, you know, American values, Judeo-Christian values. Uh, A lot of talk about values, and most of the talk about values today has no real foundation in truth. They're just in tradition. It's in tradition. We have these values because mama had them and grandmama had them and grand, great-granddaddy had them and, and they go all the way back and, and you know, the founders of our country had these values and, and these are our values because we've just sort of inherited. Paul said, I want you to understand, when I came to faith in Christ, all of those values became valueless and, and I got a new sense of value and I saw that knowing Christ is the most important thing, the most valuable thing, the most desirable thing, the most pleasurable thing in all of this world. I I got the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When you're in union with Christ, there's a change in value. There's a change in values. That's why we can gladly give that the gospel may go forward across the the whole world it's not really because we love indonesians or we love people in london or we love the chankai river i know we've come to love a lot of them but we went there we didn't know them it wasn't it wasn't because we just had an out and out love for those people we went because we had a new value That new value is knowing Christ. And because we love him, we go as he told us to go. We value investing in eternity more than we value in investing in the temporal. Remember when we came toward the end of the Gospel of John several months ago, and and, and Jesus was down by the sea, and he he went to Peter, and he said, Peter, do you love me? And, And Peter said, well, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, then feed my sheep. A few years later, he said, Peter, do you, do you really love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. He said, then tend my lambs. A few minutes later, he came back and just really exasperated Peter somewhat. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Remember he's saying in that passage, did you notice that Jesus never once said, Peter, do you love sheep? He never once said, Peter, do you like people? Do you love people? He said, Peter, do you love me? If you love me, your value changes. And if you love me, you share the gospel with people, not because you just have this innate love for people. Most of us are are like Lucy and Peanuts, you know, we... We love humanity. It's people we can't stand because they get on our nerves. But, but Jesus said, if you love me, Peter, you'll, you'll, you'll do what I've called you to do. If you love me, you'll feed my sheep. If you love me, you'll take the gospel to those who are sheep of a different pasture that are yet to come to me. You'll take the gospel to them. Paul says, when I came to Christ, when I came in union with Christ... My whole sense of value changed. And I suffered the loss of all things, but I count them as useless so that I may gain Christ. In other words, it means giving up things of the world in order to know Christ. Things of the world have no value to Paul anymore, nor should it to us. 
Second thing Paul found was not only a new sense of, right, uh, a new sense of value, but he, he found a new righteousness. And boy, he was glad to get, over, get, get rid of the old one. Look at what he says in verse 9. He said, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Up in this time, Paul had faked it pretty good. He'd been self-righteous. He looked at the law, he said, I can do that. I'm going to keep it. At least when people are looking, I'll keep it. He said, I'm going to look good. I'm going to obey the law. I'm going to do the best I can to let people see. I'm going to be the number one Pharisee in all of Judaism. I am intent to do that on my own strength. But he said, when I'm when I was found in him, when I was in union with Christ, in oneness with Christ, when he's in me and I'm in him, I have a righteousness that's not my own. It's not self-righteousness. It's real righteousness. It's a righteousness that comes in Christ, from God on the basis of faith. It's not works that gets you your righteousness. Righteousness will give you works. And righteousness will cause you to, to have an outworking of that inward righteousness and inward faith. It's like James said, you know, faith without works. You say you've got faith, and I say I've got works. Show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith with works. Because faith without works is dead. It's not real. Doesn't mean you work to, to show your faith and you work to try to get this righteousness. No, no, you have faith in Christ. He clothes you in his righteousness, and works are a natural outworking. They're a natural expression of the righteousness of Christ that you've been given, that's been imputed to you. That Paul talks about so in depth in, in Romans. I don't have a righteousness of my own, he says. I, I, I don't have to try to do it anymore. I don't have to try to fake it anymore. I don't have to be self-righteous anymore. I have a real, genuine righteousness that is in Christ, from God, on the basis of faith in Him. There's still a lot of Baptists who are trying to, trying to earn their salvation by you know, saying, if I can just do good enough, if I can just look good enough, if I can fool the preacher, then surely I'm fooling God too. No. It's faith in Christ. And I say it's faith in Christ alone that brings about this genuine and real righteousness. So Paul says, I want you to understand I've got this, I've got this new sense of value. Everything is, is lost. Everything is garbage. Everything is rubbish to me. And I've got this new righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's not my work. It's not my trying to do it. But it's Christ working in me true righteousness. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Imputed righteousness. Added to your account that changes your whole life. Will a person who has the righteousness of Christ look Act, talk differently? Absolutely. 
Will a person who has the righteousness of Christ, will their value system be changed? Will it, will it now be living for others and the glory of the gospel more than just living for myself? Absolutely. It's a new sense of value, a new righteousness. And then finally, he says in verses, in verses 10 and 11, he brings this idea of resurrection in. And he said, I've got a new sense of value. I've got a new righteousness. But here's the real key. Here's what I think is the central, the heart of the whole book of Philippians, if you will, verses 10 and 11, that I may know him. Remember, Paul wrote this 25 years after the Damascus Road, after he met Christ. 25 years. And yet he still says, here's my passion. Here's my, here's my new desire in life. Here's my, I've got a, a new sense of value. I've got a new I've got a new righteousness, and I've got a whole new desire based on those. And the desire is to know Him. To know Him better today than I knew Him yesterday. Know Him better tomorrow than I know Him today. My, my new desire, my new passion in life is not a zeal to persecute the church, but it's a zeal to know Christ intimately. Intimately. Because I'm in Him. He's in me, and there's a union that comes. How do, you, how do you develop intimacy? How do you know him better? You know him better by seeking him, by pursuing him, by desiring him, by spending time with him in prayer and in his word, by, by, by developing that relationship on a, on, a, on a concrete basis in the word of God. Just spending time with him. I, I remember one of my closest friends in high school was Mike Holt. And at the end of our junior year of high school, I mean, Mike and I were together all the time. We, we, had our, we were both big Beatle fans, and we listened to Beatles together all the time, and Grassroots, and the Turtles, and all those groups that you're so aware of. But we, we were always, we were into music, going to concerts, doing things, double dating, all this stuff. At the end of our junior year, Mike's dad comes in and says, I'm transferring from Anderson Army Depot to Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville. No big deal. It's only about a two-hour drive. And we both had cars and both had driver's license, and so we would visit each other about twice a month, and we kept talking, and, and we couldn't talk on the phone back then because he had long distance back then, and it cost an arm and a leg. But we would write notes and say, hey, I'm coming to Huntsville this week. He said, oh, I'm coming to Oxford next week. And we'd go back and forth. I used to bogue, actually, but go back and forth. And... Uh, that went on for the first part of our senior year. And then the notes dropped off, and I got involved in things. He got involved in things at his school, and we just kind of lost contact. Still liked Mike a lot, but we didn't have any real relationship anymore. He had his new set of friends in Huntsville. I had a, my set of friends in Oxford, and, and, and I'd started dating this young lady named Retta Landers, and, and so I had other things on my mind, and, and he did too, and... We just lost touch. The relationship just died. Just went away. And then August 1969, I'm standing in the registration line with the HAs at the University of Alabama, and he and over two rows is the HOs, Holt, registration line, and and, and Mike was about 6'4". We were real Mutt and Jeff together, but he was about 6'4". 
and I hear this call, Haynes! And I looked over there, and there's my colt. And, and man, we didn't wait to register. We ran and embraced and shook hands and said, man, where are you living? He's the dorm next to mine. And we, it all started up again. We started, we, we ate in the cafeteria together, and we, we did Bible studies together a little later on that year, and, and just all sorts of things. Until at the end of the freshman year, I moved to Jacksonville State, transferred to Jacksonville State, and went through the same process again. You see, there had to be communication for the relationship to grow. There had to be communication. There had to be, there had to be something going on in union, in unity, for it to continue to grow. And, and Paul says here, this is my desire. This is my passion that I may know him. Let me ask you, do you just desire to know him in that way? Do you want to be in the word, in prayer? Or is prayer just something you do, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the soul, or my soul the Lord keep, or at mealtime, or, or is it something that's an intimate time of communication and communion with the most important person in your life? You want to see a marriage die, quit talking to your spouse. You want to see a family die, quit communicating with your kids. You want to see your spiritual life dry up. Quit praying. Quit having as a passion like Paul did that I may know him. So he had a new sense of value, he had a new righteousness, he had a new passion, a new zeal. And all of that was because of a new power, a new strength. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed even to his death. Paul's already said in our Union with Christ series, we talked about out of Romans chapter 5 that, and 6, that we are dead to self, we are dead in Christ, and alive to Christ. We already saw in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. I've died to self, and I've died to sin. Now if we are in Christ in this union relationship, Paul says... That, that not only you have a new sense of value, a new righteousness, and a new passion, but you have a new power to live the life he's called you to live. It's not the power that comes from working out physically. It's not the power that comes from just getting a lot of intellectual knowledge. It's the power of the resurrection. The power of his resurrection. That empowers your life. Paul says, now that I've died to self, I, I am empowered by his resurrection. I want to know that power. I want to know that dunamis. I want to know that expression of strength in my life that comes not from me, but comes from him. And I'll, I'll have fellowship with his sufferings, and I'll be conformed to his death. But I want that so that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead myself. Both spiritually and one day physically when he comes again. We sang about that earlier. You know, the truth of the matter is, Paul says, when you are in Christ, what is the importance of it to Paul? Union with Christ is everything. Union with Christ is everything. It's not just, oh, so I can have a home in heaven when I die. That, that's a nice benefit. 
but it's so that I may have new values, new righteousness, new passion and zeal, and new power right here. In the old law, in the old covenant, the law is on tables of stone. And you looked at it and you said, I'll try. Do the best I can. I'll try to attain to what God wants me to do. And Paul said to the Romans, said, it was never meant to, to save you. It was never meant to give you righteousness. As hard as you tried. What was it meant for? It was meant to show you you can't do it. You need something else. And so in the new covenant, in the new covenant, the right of Hebrews, quoting Jeremiah, says this. He said, now in this new covenant, the, the law of God has been written on your hearts and written on your minds. He's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's talking about this union in Christ. Union in Christ, there is something new about it. It's no longer a tablet of stone where you read it and say, I'll do my best. But it's internalized by the very presence of Christ. And Paul would ask the question this morning, do you know that? Do you know that power in your own life? You know, I mean, I realize you can, you can sit there some and say, well, it's a lot of religious talk. This has nothing to do with religion. This has to, be, has to do with being in union with Christ. It has nothing to do with do's and don'ts and trying harder and, and, and being the best you can be. It has to do with are you in union with Christ? Is there a relationship there? Is there a growing emphasis there? Is there a passion there for Him that goes beyond even the things you prize the most on this earth? Or is it just something you see that you've added on to your life? Yeah, I'll, I'll trust Jesus. I'll, I'll, I'll believe in Jesus. It has no real impact. Now, I, I know a lot of you. There is that desire. Yeah, you're not perfect. <laughs> and that's good because you don't have a perfect pastor. And, and, and Paul wasn't perfect. He said, listen, I'm not telling you I've reached this. I'm not telling you I know what it means to be absolutely righteous. I've got it imputed to me. It's there. I'm, I'm seen through the eyes of, I'm seen through the, the person of Christ when God looks at me. There is this, there is this righteousness from God on faith, but, but it doesn't always work itself out perfectly. He said, I haven't attained it yet. I've not become perfect, but I want you to know this. I press on. And he uses a, 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 an analogy or a picture here of, a, of, of someone running a race. Some of you will, uh, will identify with that. You run in races. I don't, but you do. But I know what he's saying. He said, I, I'm going to run this race as God has called me to run it. I'm not perfect yet. I haven't hit the finish line yet. I've not accomplished what God's, everything God's called me to do yet. But I want you to know, I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of, of by, by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I don't regard myself having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do. One thing I do. Not ten things I do, not classes I teach, not missions I go to work at or go on. Just one thing I do. Here's this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind 
false zeal, false righteousness, the false riches and values. Forgetting what lies behind that disappointed Christ and pressing on, reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, that's the goal line. That's the finish line. I'm going to be like him. I want to reach him. I want to be found in him. I, I want people to, to not look at me and say, Paul, you're a righteous man in your own, you're a self-righteous man. I want them to look at me and say, man, you have a righteous Savior. You have a righteous, holy God. You serve an awesome God. You serve a mighty God. And you serve Him to His glory. That ought to be our passion. That ought to be our hunger. Paul says, that's what union with Christ is all about. And that's how important it is. It is everything. Now, you may be here this morning at and you say, well, I'm not in Christ. I've never trusted Christ. I'm, I'm religious every now and then. I go to church every now and then. I do a few. I may even pick up my Bible and read every now and then. But I don't, I don't know what it means to be in union with Christ. It means, first of all, seeing the grace of God and believing He is the Savior. Seeing your own sin. We're going to talk about that some tonight in worship. What brings about renewal in a person's life, both believer and unbeliever. But seeing your sin, seeing that he's a savior, and saying, you know, I realize my righteousness will not save me. I need your righteousness. And trusting in him, trusting in him completely, and trusting in him alone. What is God calling you to this morning? Is he calling you to salvation? Or is he calling you to, to get your focus right? One thing I do, one focus I have, one passion in life is to know him. I'm going to forget what lies behind my sin, my failure, my frustrations, my disappointments, and I'm going to reach forward. I'm going to press forward. I'm going to run. know him and know the power of his resurrection and know the fellowship of his sufferings I want to know him I want to know him better than I know my wife my husband my kids my parents I want to know him better than I know my best friend I want to know Christ Jesus intimately because I am in union with him and he with me Would you pray with me? Many of you I know, many of you I don't know. Many of you I sort of know. Only you can determine whether you're in union with Christ or not by His grace on the basis of faith. But I ask you this morning to, to just examine yourselves. 
Even ask in prayer, Lord, am I in union with you? Confirm that in my life through your word and through your spirit. Bear witness to my spirit that I belong to you. Show me that truth. Father, it is your work that we desire. It is your glory that we seek. Lord, we will not boast in our deeds. We will not boast in our accomplishments, religious or otherwise. We will boast in Christ. We will glory in our Redeemer. Father, deal with us. Convict us of sin. Convict us of laziness. When it comes to knowing you and your word, Convict us, Lord, things we don't even know are there. Search us and know our hearts, as David said. And lead us in your everlasting way. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of commitment, hymn of